Well, I'm inviting our kids to head to Children's Church today. Man, looks like they got some cool stuff going on today. If you came in uh, this particular campus, these doors, somebody asked me a minute ago, hey, are we digging up water lines? No, man, that's construction equipment because our kids' theme is all about some some constructing that uh, God's doing. So pretty cool stuff, pretty cool stuff. The video that you just saw um, about a Fireside Friday, this is an event that happens about every third Friday in Lee Summit. That was born out of a life team with a desire to reach their community. So they do something every third Friday of the month where folks are invited and they're playing games and it's about connection with their community for a purpose, sharing Jesus. Recently, it hadn't been too many months ago, you saw a video about another couple of ladies who represented a life team that's reaching into a community not far from here called Latour. Some really cool stuff that that life team is doing, just reaching into that community with the good news of Jesus. The Lewisburg Sunday gathering that happens for Heart of Life Church. The Harrisonville Sunday gathering that happens as a part of Heart of Life Church. Each of those were actually born out of life teams with a desire to reach the communities where they live. Here's what I know. Teams are stronger than individuals. They are. And so I want you to see the video that that you just saw as more than an invitation that if you want to go to Fireside Friday, this coming Friday in Lee Summit, you're more than welcome to do so. But that video is really more than an invitation. It is actually a challenge to ask How is God calling your team? Just like we've seen him do with multiple teams around Heart of Life, how is God calling your team to reach your community? And I want to promise you, we are willing to help you however we can in seeing that mission fulfilled. What we learned last week is that as followers of Jesus where the Holy Spirit resides in us, there is no off switch. Life is not lived by, by simply right doing the things of life, trusting that if God wants me to do something, he'll turn on the light. Right? If the Holy Spirit wants to interrupt me with something specific that he wants me to do, that he'll turn on the light. No, what, what we learned last week is there is no off switch with the Spirit of God. He's always on. And so where am I supposed to be sharing Jesus? The answer is wherever I am or sometimes he will even give you specific places to which he wants to go. So I say all that to say welcome today. I welcome everybody who's, who's joining with us today. We are a gathering of people who are learning to live with the supernatural reality that the Spirit of God is always on. 
So wherever you may be joining us from today, we're excited about connecting and we're excited about growing and going together because wherever you are, Jesus has a mission and he's inviting us into that mission. Well, speaking of mission, today we have come to a part of the story in the book of Acts that I'm, I'm going to say this, I, I, I believe this, it is one of the greatest days in history. Now, I'm not going to make that statement about too many things, all right? Numerous things about Jesus, I'm going to make that statement. But, but, but when it comes to somebody other than Jesus, this is one of the greatest days in all of history because today we're going to study when a man by the name of Saul, who's from a place called Tarsus, becomes a follower of Jesus. It's a big deal. It's a big deal for him because his life changes so much that even his name is going to change. It's going to warrant a change of his name. Today, we're going to read his name as Saul. Eventually, in the book of Acts, we'll start calling him Paul, all right? So today, if you hear me say Saul or Paul, same guy, all right? Because I'm so used to calling him Paul that in the story today, he's Saul, and I'm going to mix that up, and I'm going to use both names. Just know we're talking about the same guy. His life, such a big deal. For example, anybody know how many books are in the New Testament of the Bible? 27. I knew you knew. 13 of those, the Spirit of God uses Saul, Paul, to pen. Like half the New Testament right? This is a big deal. His story of meeting Jesus is not just mentioned today in Acts chapter 9, but when we get to Acts chapter 22, it's going to tell the story again. And then in Acts chapter 26, it's going to tell the story again. I'm saying, how many stories of people meeting Jesus do we read about in the Bible where it's repeated, not just once, but multiple times? So, before we look at this story in chapter 9, I want to help answer the why. Why is this story such a big deal? And the good news is we don't have to guess because the Bible actually gives us the answer. Let me show you where we're going to start before we dig into Acts chapter 9. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, this is Saul, Paul, who is, who, is, who is pinning these words, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, we'll talk about that, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Check out this, the grace. I just want you to see the word because we're coming back to it after a while. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves all acceptance, full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now watch this, but for that very reason, we're getting to the why, 
I was shown mercy so that, here we go, in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example. An example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Anybody believed in him, Jesus, and received eternal life? Yeah. Across this room, across the rooms to which we speak, there are numerous people who we have put our faith in Jesus, we have trusted in him, and you know what the scripture says? Paul's story has a purpose for us. What is that purpose? This story gives hope. This story gives hope. This is demonstrating God's incredible patience. This is demonstrating God's incredible love. This is demonstrating God's incredible search. This story gives us hope. In other words, once we read Paul's story, we should see differently. It should lead us to see things differently. We're going to see God differently. We're going to see how God sees people differently. So it gives hope for you to follow Jesus. I'm saying that because maybe there are some people to whom I am speaking today that you struggle to believe that God would love you and that God would want you. And the reason you struggle to believe that God would love you and that God would want you is because you got this list of things that you go, man, you just don't know, Jeff. You don't know some of the things that have been a part of my life. You don't know some of the decisions that I've made. You don't know some of the choices where I've hurt people. You don't know. This story should change how you see you and the hope that you have. But it also is a hope for those you want to see follow Jesus. Here's why, in part, this story is so powerful. Paul was, Saul, was as opposed to Jesus as anybody could be. That's where we start. He was as opposed to Jesus as anybody could be, but that is about to change. This man not only is going to turn toward Jesus, he is going to become the central figure on the stage of the story that God is writing in growing his church. As Jesus has ascended to heaven, Paul is going to take the stage and he is going to be a main figure. Therefore, let me give you just a little bit of background about this man. His home was Tarsus. Today, that would be located on what we would call the border of Syria and Turkey. That's where he's from. Tarsus had one of the three great universities in the world. The others being in Athens and Alexandria. But, but Tarsus, it was a place of intellect. It was a place of learning. An incredible city. Saul's father was a Roman citizen. Paul will become a Roman citizen. 
Paul's father was also Jewish, though, from the tribe of Benjamin, we're told, which was a very, very uh, well-thought-of tribe of God's people, and it is likely that his father was a Pharisee. And so all of the traditions, all that is connected to all of that would have been passed on to Saul. A part of the Jewish tradition was that every young boy would learn a trade. And so at a young age, Saul would have been taught how to take the, the long black goat's hair that came from the, the goats that lived in the area around Tarsus and still do, They would take the long black goat's hair and they would weave those hairs together to form strips and then they would sew those strips together and they would make tents. You can look it up still to this day. Black tents are a part of that whole culture around Tarsus. Well, it's also likely that around the age of 13, which was the age that a Jewish boy becomes officially a son of the law, that Saul was sent to Jerusalem. Why would they send a 13-year-old to Jerusalem? The reason was because his family wanted him to study Judaism at the highest level. And in that day, to study Judaism at the highest level meant to study under a teacher named Gamaliel. It would mean years of memorizing the Old Testament. Not just reading, not just studying, Years of memorizing huge sections of the Old Testament of the Bible. It would mean years of of learning question and answer and debate. In other words, Saul would become an expert in Judaism. He would become an expert in the Old Testament law. He sits under the best of teachers and this man, unlike others, he, his passion for living out the law of God, it can't be matched. I don't think Saul, as a young boy, ever actually met Jesus when Jesus was in his earthly ministry. I think if that had happened, Saul would have probably said it somewhere along the way. But what appears to be the case is that Saul studies under Gamaliel He returns to Tarsus, where he likely would have become a critical leader in the synagogue. He's zealous, he's legalistic, he's pharisaical, he's traditional. But by the time of Stephen's story, which we've studied, we know that Saul is now back in Jerusalem. And we don't know the reason he went back, but we know that he is one angry man. Why is he angry? He's angry because he is what's called a Hellenistic Jew. It means he's a Jew from outside of Jerusalem. And Stephen, who is also a Hellenistic Jew, remember the story, Stephen's going from synagogue to synagogue and he's preaching the good news of Jesus. And what's happening is people are believing in Jesus. The church is exploding in its size and Saul gets more angry and more angry and by his action and by his passion, he rises to become the leader in the movement to stop Christianity. That's how Saul grew up. This is where our story picks up today, verse 1. 
chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Now remember, in Acts chapter 7, when they stoned Stephen, it says before they stoned him, they laid their robes at whose feet? Saul's. It was an indication that he was really the one who, who, is, who is executing all this. He's really the one behind it. But by the time we got to, to chapter 8, it says he's going house to house, and he is dragging Jesus' followers out of their homes, men and women, and he's putting them in prison. Chapter 9, he's breathing out murderous threats. An interesting word. The word breathing it doesn't just mean breathing out. It's literally, it's a unique Greek word that actually means breathing in. Now, we use this language because we're pretty accustomed to that in English, breathing out a murderous threat. But what the language literally means is that the very breath of Saul was a breath in and out of violence. It was in and out of anger. It was in and out of persecution. This is the air that he breathes. He's still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. The way is an interesting phrase that's used to describe the followers of Jesus. Why would they be called the way? But Jesus is what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Jesus is the way to the Father. He is the way to heaven. He's the only way. That's why they, they began to tag them, probably in a sarcastic way, people of the way, but it stuck. That truth of Jesus being the way flies directly in the face of everything that Saul believes about how his goodness, his righteousness, his ability to follow the law of God, his ability to keep the rules and, and to do what God, his ability to do that is what makes him, that's the way. He becomes a man who breathes persecution and violence, and not just in Jerusalem, but in our story today. He has gained permission to travel some 150 miles to Damascus, and he is chasing down the people of God. Here's the point that we should see differently after we see Saul's story. Even the most unlikely people can become Jesus' followers. Because he is unlikely. Even the most unlikely people can become Jesus' followers. So God's mercy is not just for people who, who grow up in good church families. Right? People who, who some of y'all are blessed that you grew up in a household where your parents loved Jesus and they pointed you toward Jesus your whole life. I'm one of those. I don't ever remember a time in my life that I did not know 
that Jesus didn't, you know, love me. I, always, I, I mean, there's, I just can't remember a time. Some of you are blessed with that. This story reminds us, though, that even if you didn't grow up in a household that pointed you to Jesus, even if you didn't grow up in a, in a church atmosphere, man, this isn't just about good people. No, this is about anybody. Even the most unlikely people can become Jesus followers. That's for you personally. It's also for the people that you know and love right now who may not yet know Jesus. But it's also for the people that you may know and not love right now. And the reason you don't love them is because they're the most unlikely people who should ever be connected to him. This story changes how we see them. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. As he, as Saul, neared Damascus on his journey... Here's our word, suddenly. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. We would say, it came out of nowhere. That's the way we would describe this this moment. It, it It just came out of nowhere. Nobody saw this coming. This was unexpected. There were no signs. Despite what sometimes people try to argue, they will argue the fact that, well, what was really going on in Saul is that he had this guilty conscience about what he had done to Stephen, for example, and he was wrestling with what he had done wrong, and he was wrestling with what he was doing to people. I'm going to tell you the biblical evidence does not speak that way. Even the apostle Paul himself will later tell us in the book of Acts that he was living with a good conscience right up until that day. He thought he was doing exactly what God wanted him to do to protect the faith of his people. And then suddenly, suddenly, Paul doesn't ever speak of his conversion as some series of events where God spoke to him and it moved him and then spoke to him and it moved. No, it's like suddenly. Here's a point. We should not give up on those who show no evidence of wanting to follow Jesus. We should not give up on those who show no evidence, I'm going to say yet, of wanting to follow Jesus. Some of you know people, you love them very much, but right now they show absolutely no evidence whatsoever that they care anything about God, Jesus, faith, anything. And the, the, the story today reminds us of how suddenly that can change. How unexpectedly, in a sense, that can change. Therefore, it it can happen to others as well. So we keep on loving. We keep on sharing the good news of Jesus, and we keep on praying. I'm sure none of you are like me, that sometimes I pray, and when I don't see anything begin to happen, I think, well, this is ineffective. I'm sure you're not like me. If you pray and you don't see immediate evidence, then you just assume it's not happening. I am reminded 
that as people were picking up stones and hurling them towards Stephen, and his life is literally slipping away, right, breath by breath, he prays a most extraordinary prayer. The very prayer that Jesus prayed as he died. Father, forgive them. And I will remind you that when Stephen prayed that prayer, there was absolutely not one ounce of evidence that Saul of Tarsus was turning to Jesus until this day. And suddenly Stephen's prayer is answered. Some of y'all have been praying for some people for a long time in your life because you love them like crazy and you want them to meet Jesus and they are showing no evidence yet, no evidence whatsoever. Don't you stop praying. Don't stop praying, don't stop loving, and don't stop sharing. Verse 4 says, He, as Saul, fell to the ground, And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? That's interesting. We'll come back. Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, I'm going to say I am afraid that many people, perhaps that I maybe even talk to today, have never really ever experienced any pushback of any kind for your faith. And I'm afraid that sometimes the reason you never experience any pushback from your faith is because the people around you don't know about your faith in Jesus. But there are some of you that do. You feel it in your family. You've tried to love, you've tried to share, and you feel it in your family. Pushback. Some of you perhaps at certain times in your work, because you care about the people you work with and you build the relationships with the people you work with, and as you try to share, there's pushback. Some of you, maybe it's on a team. I don't don't know what the scenario would be. But if you've ever been there, and some of you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, And sometimes there are moments where we turn and we go, Jesus, do you care? that this is happening to me and I'm, I'm sharing and here's the result. Do you even know what this is costing me? And what we are reminded of in this story is that his response is, they're doing it to me. That's his response. Jesus' response is, you're with me and they're treating you the way they're treating you because that's actually how they're treating me. By the way, Did you hear him? Call him Lord. (laughs) Did you hear Saul? He he addresses him as Lord. It is all happening suddenly. Verse 6, Jesus says, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Anybody questioning who's in control right now? 
And I'm going to tell you, it's the one who's been in control all along. But now Saul knows it. Verse 7. The, man traveling, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Here's the third point that I want you to see about this most remarkable story. Becoming a Jesus follower is a work of God's power and grace. Becoming a Jesus follower is a work of God's power and grace. E- even the most unlikely people can end up being Jesus followers. Even if you don't see any evidence whatsoever of somebody turning toward him, don't you give up on them. But here's, here's the why. It's because this is a work of God's power and grace. It, it, grace, come on. Why is this happening to Paul on this day? Because he's doing such good things? Is it because he's such a kind and generous man? No, he's killing people. He's throwing Christians into prison. This is not Jesus responding to Saul's goodness. No, this is grace. And so on this day, Paul, on the road to Damascus, has a head-on collision with the grace of God. And his life would never be the same. God's power is at at work in this story all the way through. There there is a voice, right? There's a sound and there's a a voice and Saul can hear what what Jesus is saying and and he understands it. That is God's power at work. There is a light and there is is blindness. But in that blindness, supernatural power of God enables Saul to actually see the fact as we read on in the story that a a disciple uh, is going to, by the name of Ananias, is actually going to come to him. And that wild, while he's blind, he can see. It's the supernatural power of God here. Saul is led to Damascus for three days. He, he, He is blind But God tells this disciple named Ananias, who lives in Damascus, he says, here's the exact home and here's the exact street. And I'm going to paraphrase, but this is really what God tells him. Saul's expecting you. He's expecting you. And here's what Ananias says in verse 13. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And and he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Now, I am pretty sure that there is not a single one of us in this room who are going to get all holier than thou and pass some judgment on Ananias for his questions? No, we're not. Because Ananias just got instruction to go to a home and meet with a man who kills followers of Jesus. At best, we're talking prison. I don't think Ananias is attempting to inform God. 
I don't think he's trying to correct God here. But I do think he's processing with God. And there's a big difference in that. The heart is the difference. And I I would tell you, you don't need to be afraid to process things with God. When God sometimes asks you to do things, and the best thing to do is often to talk those things out loud even with God. God, here's what you're calling me to do, and here's what this struggle looks like. God God seems to, to, to just meet Ananias where he is because I think it's Ananias' heart. He's not correcting God. He's just processing what he's been asked to do. And here's how God answers, verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. God said, Ananias, I got this. I got it. This is my plan. And this plan is bigger than Damascus. It's bigger than Jerusalem. It's bigger than Judea. It's bigger than Samaria. This is the plan to the ends of the earth. I think it's interesting that God makes it really clear to Saul early on There's going to be suffering. There's going to be suffering. This one who has inflicted suffering on other people, he is now in turn going to suffering. And don't don't miss the picture. It is not that Saul is going to suffer because he made other people suffer. That's not the reason. He's going to suffer because he's lining up with Jesus. And the way he has treated other people is now going to become the way at times other people treat him. I love the fact that God tells him that from the beginning and it will become the overwhelming evidence that this man has truly become a Jesus follower. Verse 17, Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother, Wow. I couldn't get away from that word this week. Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. How does a man move from this guy kills people to bro? How do, you, how, how do you move from this guy, he hurts people, to brother Saul? And the answer is he gets God's instruction. But remember what we read first thing from 1 Timothy, how this story should forever change how we view hope. I would submit to you that Ananias was the first to learn the lessons of sight. He sees differently. 
This story involves so much about sight. Did you notice when, when, you're, when you're reading through it this week, you, you, you got the light that blinds Saul and, and then after three days his sight is, is regained. But I'm saying to you, equally miraculous, equally supernatural is the fact that Ananias now sees like God sees. And I want you to know it's the same sight that God wants to give you. I am still sort of uh, living a bit in some of the um, memories that my family got to experience a couple weeks ago. We got away for a couple weeks and seeing a little bit of the national parks and some of the sites there. And there is one thing that we learned from before that we did different this time. Um, you can go to some of the places in the park and some of the valleys, you know, like Lamar Valley, where literally it is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards across these valleys. I mean, long distances. And so you're out there, maybe it's the morning, maybe it's the evening when the animals tend to, to move and they come out and, and all of a sudden you see like this little tiny black spot way over on the other side of the valley coming out of the woods and you're like, what is that? And you grab the best pair of binoculars that you have and, and you look through the binoculars and like, I think it's a bison, but it's so far away. It's so far away. I, I, th I think it's a bison. And so we learned last time that when we show up this time, we're going to be better equipped. And so our families went in together. And this time, we were better equipped. We went in together on the cost of a scope. And with this scope, there would be those moments that you would suddenly see this little black dot out in the valley and it's making its way across and you go, what is that? And you use the scope to zero in and all of a sudden, there it is. It, it looks like it's you know literally five feet from you through the scope is just this gorgeous black wolf. And you could identify this animal and that animal because the powerful lens changed how you see. I'm trying to get you to understand today that Paul's story is supposed to be like a spotting scope in our life now, a, a powerful lens that changes how we see who God is, how God sees the people around us, that now through Paul's story, we understand that even the most unlikely people can come to Jesus. I might not have seen that so clearly before, but now through this powerful scope, I'm saying if Saul can be forgiven, if Saul can be embraced in the family of God if Saul can become a Jesus follower, then even the most unlikely people can. 
Now, through this scope, I am seeing like God sees that just because there may not be evidence at the moment that, that somebody is turning to him, they're not, they're not praying, they don't care about going to church, there's just no evidence whatsoever. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up because I see differently now. And I've seen Paul's story, and I know that sometimes it is sudden, man, that God grabs hold of a heart, and he causes a, a, a change, a transformation to happen. So I'm going to keep on loving, and I'm going to keep on praying, praying and I'm going to keep on sharing because now through this scope, now through this lens of Paul's story, I know it is the work of God's power and his grace. I see differently now. Saul's sight is restored. He's baptized He eats, puts that part in there. Why? Because he hadn't eaten for three days and neither would you. He can't eat anything. And then it says at once, he began speaking about Jesus. Where? In Damascus. Why? Because that's where he is. At once, he, he begins preaching about Jesus in Damascus. And what, what a strange next couple of days when Saul is showing up at the synagogues, the very synagogues that he intended to go to, right, to drag the people out of them who, who proclaim that they believe in Jesus and put them in prison. And now he's going to the synagogue saying, you all need to believe Come on, you know there were some people sitting in the chairs that day that were like, uh, I think this is a trick. He's going to get us to all raise our hand and say we believe, and then he's going to drag us into prison. You know that was some strange days. In the book of Galatians, in the first chapter, Paul also talks about this time period in his life, and he tells us that also during this time, he goes to Arabia. And what happens there is that God apparently is just downloading into Saul's heart. God is just, God is just teaching him and speaking. And because Paul doesn't first, he he hasn't been to Jerusalem yet. He hasn't gone to talk to the big guns, to to Peter or John. He He hasn't done any of that. He's been in Damascus. And then it says that he's sent to Arabia. And the words that's used is that whole time period of him being in Damascus, goes to Arabia, back to Damascus is about three years. Three years before he ever goes to Jerusalem. I am just mentioning that because there are some of us who get frustrated when we feel like God gives us a direction and then that doesn't happen for some time? Like, Saul, I'm calling you to reach the Gentiles and you're going to plant churches everywhere, and right? And, and And then why is this taking so long? Sometimes it's because you're not yet ready. And even as capable and as intelligent as Saul was, there appears to be a period of time here where, yes, he's proclaiming God's word, 
but God gets him in a certain place where God just seems to be downloading into this man's soul and into his heart. And I imagine, can you imagine all the stuff that Saul has learned about the Old Testament in his lifetime and all of a sudden Jesus is going, it's me. And imagine all the lights that come on in his heart where he realizes this thing he read about way back in Deuteronomy, it's about Jesus. Right, this thing that he reads about in the prophets, it's about Jesus. And I'm saying sometimes you got to trust the fact that when God gives you direction, but sometimes it may take a little while before that whole thing really begins to move where God said it moves. Sometimes it's about God preparing you. We don't like those lessons. He goes back to Damascus, and surprise, surprise, his life is threatened. It says they are watching the city gates, just waiting for Paul to try to exit so that they can, they can capture him and they want him dead. And what happens is those who walk with Paul, his followers, if you will, those who follow Jesus with him, they let him down in a basket to escape the city. The, the walls, the city would be walled and the houses would be built into the walls and there were windows in the houses and so they would they put him in a basket, it says, and they let him out the window down the wall. He didn't go through the city gates so that he could escape. He goes to Jerusalem. Goes to Jerusalem and everybody welcomes him with open arms, right? No, they're scared to death of him. They haven't seen him for three years. All they know are the stories that they have heard and the stories that they remember. Here's the man at whose feet the people who killed Stephen laid their garments. They're all afraid. Even Peter won't meet with him. Until a guy named Barnabas comes along who apparently had the right lens. And he saw the reality of who Saul was. And here's what it says in verse 27. Check this out. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles because none of them would meet with him. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how, check this out, in Damascus, he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. This is who he is now. He's saying, this is what I know of Saul. When he was in Damascus, he, he is preaching Jesus fearlessly. They were threatening his life. So, Saul stayed with them, now in Jerusalem, and moved about freely in Jerusalem. Check it out again. Speaking how? Boldly in the name of the Lord. In Damascus, he's speaking boldly. In Jerusalem, he's speaking boldly. What I'm about to say to you, I think it's time to say. And my, my mission in this moment is to be bold. 
but it is not to be harsh. For nine chapters, for nine chapters, we have seen the consistent picture that real Jesus followers are bold in proclaiming Jesus. Some of us, it's time to be concerned. It's time to be concerned. Because for nine chapters, over and over, the picture is given that those who really follow Jesus, there is a boldness in proclaiming him. And some of us are not bold in proclaiming Jesus. And again, I promise you, I I am not throwing stones at you. I am saying, come on, I don't want you to miss this life to which you have been called, this life which is real and it is powerful. It it is the spirit of God awaken you. It's time for some of us to get honest enough to ask the question, if I'm not bold in proclaiming Jesus, one, am I a Jesus follower? Am I a Jesus follower? Or two, if I, if I am, then what is quenching the Spirit's fire? Is it fear? Is it control? Is it a wrong belief? And I just want you to know whatever it is, we want to come alongside and find the answer with you. but it's time to ask those questions. Let me wrap it up this way. In verse 29, it says, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. (laughs) When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. What's happening here, he's, he's preaching in Jerusalem just like he did in Damascus. They want him dead. And the answer is, we got to get Saul out of here. By now, we all recognize that Saul is a significant leader. God has called him to a specific task here, but this is getting tense. We got to get him out. Let's send Saul home. Let's get him to where home is. Let's keep him alive. Let things cool down a little bit. Well, Paul actually gives us a little more detail again in when he tells this story in Galatians because in Galatians 121, he tells us, I went to Syria and Cilicia. Tarsus is in the area of Cilicia. So these two places, they are, that just means he went to the area of Tarsus, all right? But now I want to show you something. And we will study it in greater detail next month. But I'm just going to tell you today, what we're about to read is a letter. It's the beginning of a letter that some believers are sending to some other believers. Okay? Listen to what this says. Acts chapter 15. We'll get there next month. With them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers. That's who it's from. Okay? This is the sender of the letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers. Two. 
the Gentile believers, the Gentile what? Believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. And my question is, where did the believers in Syria and Cilicia come from? Like who told them about Jesus? And the answer appears to be Saul. Saul. When did he do that? He did that when they tried to send him home to keep him out of trouble. He did that from Jerusalem. Things are getting tense. Saul, you need to go home. You need to chill out. You need to catch your breath. You need to find you a little place on the, on the water somewhere where you can just, like, escape. You can just stay out of trouble. You can experience some, some peace and quiet. Saul, it's just time to turn off the switch for a bit. But Saul already knows there is no off switch when the Spirit of God is alive in you. And so even when they send him off to keep him alive, to try to hide him, he just goes there and boldly speaks Jesus. And by Acts chapter 15, there are believers in the kingdom of God because of it. The Spirit is always on. If you are not bold in speaking Jesus, come on, why? Be courageous enough to ask the question and believe that we want to help you get to that answer. Because this is a life that you are called to. And before I pray, and we spend a little time processing today, we're going to sing for a little bit. You can pray. Uh, we're going to be available at each place. There are folks who, are, who would be honored to pray with you, to help you. I want to challenge those of you to whom God has enabled you, to, enabled you to see like he sees. Who is at least one person in your life right now that is showing no evidence whatsoever of turning to Jesus, but you know they need to? And I challenge you this week to pray for them. God, I want to thank you for a different lens. I want to thank you for a most extraordinary story of a man that we would say is most unlikely that he would not just turn to you, but that you would end up using him to be an instrument to the ends of the earth. God, I pray that we wouldn't just study a story today. I pray that this story would study us today. I pray that you would give us courage to ask the question, if we're not bold, then what is in the way? And that, God, you might give us courage to ask for boldness, that you might fill your people and fill your church with your spirit, that we might become a people who are boldly proclaiming your truth and that we might be a people who see.
even the most unlikely, they can follow you. Even if there is no evidence of them turning, we will not give up because this God, it is about you, it is about your grace, it is about your power. The same is true right this moment. God, in hearts that turn to you, would you give us courage to turn to you and I thank you for what you're going to show us today in the name of Jesus, we pray.